0: Okay, welcome back. Uh, today will be the sixth installment in the series on Nityananda or Nityanan. And last time, we um, finished the chapter associated with uh, moving to Ganeshpuri. How it was that he developed that area, <clears throat> which is near Bombay, somewhat. and. Um, has become a major uh, center for pilgrimage today, because of his settlement there, and then um, Muktananda, Swami Muktananda, following in the footsteps and establishing a major center also in Ganeshpuri. Uh, I'll talk about the global situation a little bit at the end, not here at the beginning. So, today we're starting with the chapter, the Old Ashram, Part 1. So, the Old Ashram is what was uh, set up in Ganeshpuri in those years. Uh, Nityananda used that primarily, or was primarily settled there, pretty much from 1936 to 1956. So, throughout World War II, and after, into the post-war period. Uh, after that there was another location at a place called Kailash. Kailash just means it was a mythical or uh, legendary mountain in Hindu fable or Hindu lore and that was just the name given to his ashram by others um, after or after these years of 36 to 56 in Ganesh Puri. (coughs) And again before that we have his activity, uh, in further south, Kerala, and, um, the states, um, of near Udipi and Mangalore, particularly, Kanangad, and now he's settled further, a little bit further north. So let's start Old Ashram Part 1, 1936 to 1950, from, again, Nityananda in Divine Presence, um, Captain Hatengi and Swami Chaitanya Nanda. One afternoon, a visitor took leave of Nityananda, planning to take the footpath through the woods to the Vajraswari temple. As he walked off, the master told him not to look back until he reached the temple. Along the way, he, this visitor, encountered a cobra in his path, but, following the directive, did not look around, did not turn around. Instead, he waited for the snake to leave. Continuing, he soon heard someone whispering behind him. Once more, controlling his curiosity, he did not look back until he was within sight of the temple. Then, unable to stand the mystery, he turned and saw a gigantic figure with folded arms standing in the river repeating a mantra, which was what he had heard, the whispering. Quite shaken, He managed to reach the temple where he remained in a dazed state and had to be hospitalized. It took two months for him to fully recover his senses. We can talk about that later. I'll read through the whole chapter first. There are many such examples of Nityananda's watchfulness (laughs) as well as um, metaphysical uh, activity, uh, completely uh, non human or extra human activity. For instance, he always advised devotees not to venture out alone at night. One time, however, Mrs. Muktabai rose after midnight and went to the hot springs tanks to bathe. As she entered, she saw two uncommonly handsome youths run away and disappear inside the temple. She hurriedly returned to the ashram to tell Nityananda, who admonished her for disobeying his instructions. She apologized and then asked about the young men. He replied that they were Sanat Kumaras, two of Lord Brahma's four sons born of his mind alone. The term here was Sanat Kumaras, not different than the theosophical term Sanat Kumara. And again, we'll talk about that later. In 1965, And this was somebody, this is after Nityananda passed um, an accounting of prior experiences to Captain Hatengi. In 1965, some of the older devotees told Captain Hatengi that the young master often used the phrase, quote, tortoise drishti, or sight, meaning tortoise sight, when speaking of his constant mindfulness of their welfare and development he told them to consider how a mother bird's physical warmth hatches her eggs. In contrast, a mother tortoise climbs onto the beach, lays her eggs, covers them, and returns to the sea, all the while mindful of her eggs. It is her constancy of thought that makes them hatch, meaning not constancy of physical body presence. On another occasion, a devotee performing an act of service, or seva, around the ashram, was told to stop at midnight. He did so, and then went off to bathe before retiring. En route, he saw an enormous muddy footprint near the statue of Shiva's bull. Though a man of courage, the devotee was shaken by the sight and rushed inside. There the master waited and immediately asked, did you bow before the footprint? And he quickly returned to do so. Nirnanda said that through time sages had often frequented the grounds of the old ashram and he considered the hot spring's water there to be holy koti tirtha this phrase koti tirtha uh, indicates the water's Tirta is a saint uh, or yeah tirtha is a common word for saint this phrase indicates the waters that saints have bathed in or meditated near In Ganeshpuri, the master always asked even his oldest devotees to, upon arrival, first bathe in the kunds, meaning the hot springs baths. Throughout the uncertain light of early morning, Nityananda would maintain a vigil until all the devotees returned from bathing. Once, coming from an early bath, Madhumama, a long-term devotee who sometimes cooked for the master, encountered him at the ashram entrance. He or Nityananda asked the devotee, Did you see it? and pointed to a tiger sitting under a mango tree only 20 yards away. Clearly, the master was standing guard. Raj Gopal Bhatt, a regular visitor for two decades, spoke of a similar incident. In 1949, he brought his family to Bombay for the first time and, on finding no accommodations, was told by Nityananda to stay with a certain Mr. Gandhi in Ganeshpuri. Rising the next morning for a three o'clock visit to the hot springs, he felt himself followed and noticed a faint light behind him. Remembering the master's perennial advice, he did not look back but continued walking. When he reached the present site of the Bhadrakali temple, the uncertain feeling disappeared He took his bath and forgot the incident. In the the evening, Mr. Gandhi visited the ashram. Nityananda told him a tiger had followed Mr. Bhatt that morning, but that his faith in the master had protected him. According to another story, Bhagwan Mistri, another teacher, who handled the ashram's construction work, ran in one evening in obvious agony, shouting that a cobra had bitten him Nitinanda calmly told him to sit down he asked someone to bring him the snake balm instructed the bewildered mystery mr bagwan to rub it on the master instructed the bewildered mystery to rub it on the master's leg at meaning nitinanda's leg at the spot corresponding to his own wound and told him to go to sleep the devotee awoke the next morning fully recovered An even more dramatic intervention is related in this story from Dr. Diodar about Sitarama Shenoy, a Mangalore devotee mentioned earlier in the book. After suffering a severe heart attack, he was taken by his family directly from the hospital to Ganeshpuri, to the ashram. His doctors vehemently protested this action. Arriving in the village, Sitarama was helped from the car and placed on the ground before who proceeded to take his hand and drag him to the river. There, Nityananda splashed water on the ailing man's face, telling him that he was fine and could walk back on his own. And so he did, completely recovered. Shortly thereafter, to his doctor's astonishment, and at Nityananda's bidding, <clears throat> he opened the restaurant across from the Vajraswari temple and worked there until his death in 1954. The restaurant is still maintained by his family. One afternoon, Nityananda announced that Narayan Maharaj of Kedgaon Kedgaon was coming. was like a local little king. Seeing Achuttamama's skepticism, uh, he insisted that the celebrated teacher was in Vajrashwari en route to the ashram. Uh, This was some teacher, Narayan Maharaj, maybe a teacher, I don't know. Uh, Five minutes later, uh, they heard a car stop to develop to deposit the maharaj, who went directly to the hot springs. Following his ablutions, he approached Nityananda and asked him to cure his skin disorder. But the master replied, "Inside you are pure. Why bother with the outside?" And the maharaj went away. That evening, Nityananda spoke. Everything and he said, Nityananda said. Quote, Everything was ready for him. The bed made and his head about to touch the pillow, but instead he got up and left. Referring to the spiritual stage previously reached by the Maharaj, the Master master told devotees that Data Devata Siddhi only lasted 14 years and required a renewed effort at that point. In contrast, the attainment of divine wisdom carried no such limitation. Yana, he said, was infinite. Yana is, um, actually comes from the Greek word gnosis. Same. G-N-O-S-I-S-J-N-A-N-A, yana, inga, is actually the root of wisdom. The root etymological phrase or syllable mean wisdom, Nya, And so gnosis in Greek uh, actually came from <laughs> yana nga, in Sanskrit, and so that comes out as jhana, which could be called divine wisdom, and the uh, yana yogi, uh, yani, is a um, spiritual seeker or spiritual, uh, uh, a person seeking spiritually on the path of developing wisdom. We could say wisdom over love on the positive path. <clears throat> and so, anyway, I'll come back to all of this later. A man destined to be a long-time devotee made his first visit to Ganeshpuri in 1938. Most people came by bus, but after winning the Goa lottery, uh, Golikeri Lakshman Rao was a rich man. He hired a taxi for the trip and arrived bearing a fruit basket. Nityananda accepted him as well as the fruit. After several visits, he, Nityananda, asked Rao to come on a particular date and accompany him on a pilgrimage, Tirta Yatra. Tirta is the same Tirta, meaning saint. Uh, As Rao arrived that day again in a taxi, the villagers fell at Nityananda's feet, pleading pleading with him not to leave. He told them to fall at Rao's feet instead, and they did, much to the devotee's embarrassment. Nityananda motioned for Rao to, to acknowledge them, and they set off on their journey. At the train station, over his companions' protests, Nichinanda insisted on a third on third class tickets. So bear in mind Mr. Rao is a wealthy man and had won the lottery. <laughs> this may be a case of somebody who wins the lottery and happens to be a very spiritually developed soul and obviously good karma uh, and keeps keeps the, the work going. So, <clears throat> they have third-class tickets. In Pune, their first stop, Nityananda took a hotel room with a bed for Rao, and a space on the floor for himself, and a cloth or chadar for a blanket. That's it. The next day, they went to Alandi. Here, Nityananda encouraged the devotee to follow his usual manner of worship, and so Rao proceeded to the river Janeshwar. Meanwhile, the master stood for several seconds with his hands at his sides in each corner of the shrine and then left. The next stop was to be Pandarpur, but Rao suffered a malaria attack in the night and asked Nityananda's permission to return to Bombay. He made no objection but asked Rao to leave his chadar for him, meaning the cloth for a blanket, protesting. Rao said he would gladly buy the master a new one, but again overruled, he sadly departed. Nityananda traveled on to Pandarpur and other places before returning to Bombay. This is again in the late 30s, and so things were not as settled in Ganeshpuri at that time. For several months in 1939, early 1939, he lived in the Canary Caves at Burivli, Adjoining his cave was another, where a guru lectured daily on Vedantic philosophy. Focusing on the inconsequential and transitory aspect of the human body, he loudly, this other teacher, Pandita, lecturing on Vedanta philosophy, he, that teacher, loudly exhorted his disciples to ignore its many attractions and afflictions, uh, meaning of the body. As fate had it, one day that guru was bitten by a snake. The resulting agony was expressed visibly and, as usual, quite vocally on his part. His distressed disciples asked Nityananda to help. While we know his mercy was boundless, the master nevertheless nevertheless, chuckled and asked if they had already forgotten their guru's words to ignore the body's physical aspects. Then he directed them to splash water from the nearby pond onto the wound. This done, their guru recovered and immediately came to bow at Nityananda's feet. Another of the canary caves was occupied by a Sanyasi, who was a Mahakala worshipper. You see Mahakala in uh, Tibetan Vajrayana Buddhism also. Following his daily worship, he would bring the ritual light and incense, Arati, that he had waved before his personal shrine, and wave it before Nityananda. Taking no notice, the master told devotees that it was just a sign of the sannyasi's deep devotion. So that also happened. So that's one of the stories that was told to Captain Hatengi. These are all stories he compiled from devotees and um, connected people over the decades. As always, devotees found Nityananda, and this time they flocked to Kanheri. One was the deeply attached Mrs. Muktabai, she related that one time in her haste to arrive she lost her way her anxiety grew until an asthmatic old man suddenly appeared and offered to show her the way as they neared the ashram he began to lag lag behind her and at the entrance was nowhere to be seen nichinanda refused to discuss the incident and reprimanded her soundly for traveling at that hour in such a dangerous region Prior to his return to Ganeshpuri, Nichinanda told devotees not to come to Kanari only to see him. He urged them to visit the rock caves built by yogis and sannyasis centuries earlier and marvel at their arrangements for collecting and storing water. Nichinanda returned to Ganeshpuri in 1939 and Rao immediately came to see him. But again, he, Mr. Rao, suffered an attack of malaria. In a fever-induced delirium, he admitted that as a youth, he had once received sandwiches from the Muslim sage Baba Jan, which he had thoughtlessly discarded. I Meaning he got them a gift and then threw it away. Hearing the story, the master shook the ailing man and asked him to repeat it. After listening to it again, he went to the pantry, opened several tins of food, and mixed the contents together on a piece of newspaper... He then carried the huge serving to Rao and ordered him to eat it. The sick devotee did so and immediately fell asleep. He awoke, fully recovered, realizing that he had finally atoned for the insult of throwing away a saint's prasad. And, uh, (laughs) if you meet a very high being, uh, and they offer you something, and you reject it, uh, scornfully, or, Disinterestedly, um, there is a karmic um, matter to it. Um, it's rejecting love light. <laughs> if somebody comes to you with real love light and you reject it uh, proudly, angrily, <laughs> disdainfully, with indifference, with you know disinterest even, that is a karmic deed. Uh, that is a deed, uh, karmic conduct. Or a, a form of activity um, that has karmic consequences. And um, to some degree, uh, it's a rejection of love, light, and what's in our own best interest and leads to, may well lead to some harm. That's an interesting point that should be <laughs> borne in mind. So, uh, going through this chapter, the Old Ashram Part 1, and I'll be able to get to the second part today as well. Um, lots of interesting things the first uh, few paragraphs um basically in it it while um the focus of the text is on Nityananda's watchfulness, mindfulness carefulness in protecting devotees there's another dynamic here yeah that's true <laughs> and that's like um the tortoise drishti he said uh constant mindfulness for the welfare and development. Of devotees and those that appreciated him not physically but mentally spiritually and at a distance that's not the only principle or theme presented here in the first two paragraphs the other is that Nityananda is doing interdimensional work and uh, a few times had told devotees in that area which was really quite charged because of so many Saints having bathed in the waters in past centuries And most likely continuing higher dimensional or at least higher astral plane positive entities uh, being um, having doing some activity in that area ongoing ongoing positive um, or ritual activity in that area physically from non-physical upper astral entities or mid astral higher dimensional I don't know but certainly 3D time-space entities that Nityananda sees and interacts with and understands should be um, guarded, uh, should not be directly contacted by the devotees, meaning his devotees should not look back or try to figure out what's going on here because you can't handle it. (laughs) You can't take the truth, as they say. And um, this case of the one who um, hears someone whispering and then sees a gigantic figure with arms folded standing in the river is that a uh giant uh nephilim is that uh some entity from the lower astral that is making amends that's trying to uh, get out of uh, some condition or just an entity doing spiritual practice um from an astral plane that's coincidental to that location? Yeah, probably. Uh, And um, some people could take it and some people can't. I mean I've seen magic (laughs) a few times in my life. Real magic meaning a real glitch in the matrix, meaning something that is outside the laws of 3D physics, physical laws, the laws of the physical dimension, and there's a shock. I mean Many people have, or some people have there's um a shock <laughs> to the conscious mind because the conscious mind commonly <clears throat> at least for me and the stories that I've heard from others uh I would say registers um anomaly that this is of time space and therefore <clears throat> um it's it's ontologically um incompatible inconsistent contradictory to all that the, the contra- to, to the ways of phenomena to the the three d laws the phenomenological ways of three d space time the mind registers that and some people can handle it and some people can 't depends on what 's being seen or what 's occurring um, it 's real <laughs> and so the reality of the um, the metaphysical the time space the supra physical uh, intrusion an intrusion into the space time of the supra physical um, is shock it's there's a moment of shock and one either gets it or freaks out or doesn't get it uh and so the first person basically had a um went psychotic for a moment and um had to be hospitalized for two months (laughs) and then other cases of um others like mrs muktabai seeing these two uncommonly handsome youths run away uh nityananda said they were sanat kumars or two of lord brahma's four sons born of his mind alone Uh, that's one way of putting it i mean he probably would have explained things differently to people with a different uh, mythological religious background meaning the history of hindu hindu literature and uh, mythology and the teaching that's how um non-physical or metaphysical phenomena would be explained just like in the seth material there's some notion that if if a if a person, if if a Muslim dies, and uh, is of certain merit and virtue, um, they may well, depending on their mindset and their karma, see Allah after death. Um, but that's actually an angel mm-hmm. <laughs> parading, uh, per- portraying Allah, so that that soul will take be able to get to the next step, like an astral city or a mid astral. Um, Location for healing life review and preparation for the next lifetime, so there's sort of uh angelic theater <laughs> uh and this is more of a case of um uh, clothing the metaphysical in local um local narrative, a locally acceptable narrative. (laughs) A a local narrative that's acceptable to the people. So, um, this could well be um, beings from what Buddhism would call uh, upper um, Rupa Loka, like fourth or fifth fifth density beings or something. I don't know. (laughs) I don't know. But she didn't freak out. But also they were beautiful. And so, that's um, this is called a sacred space. So that area, Ganeshpuri, is a sacred space. Uh, today it's sort of uh, overrun with tourism and uh, probably been somewhat despiritualized. But that's what happens here. But at that time, <coughs> when it was just when Nishananda was just opening it up for the old ashram, uh, you can see there was a regular. Uh, interpenetration from the metaphysical or time-space or uh, the um, Uh, other-dimensional. Nityananda explaining that he's not physically um, attending to disciples but watching from afar. Um, I think probably a lot of disciples or devotees would say that they felt Nityananda with him or her for decades. And... um, it's just one miracle after another here. (laughs) Uh, And so another of the astral or non-physical entities in the zone is of the story of the person who sees this enormous footprint. So, is under working with uh, Nephilim who are uh, reconstructed or seeking uh, awakening? Is it some gigantic thought forms. Who knows? I mean, the the classes of beings on the astral plane are great. There are many classes and categories of being at, uh, throughout all the dimensions, sub-dimensions of the astral plane. <laughs> and you know, Earth humans, they prefer not to know than to realize how little they know. They prefer to presume uh, comprehension and therefore not know more than they know, than acknowledge how little they know. And you see, I mean, I see that it's getting a little more clear to me um, why it is they keep repeating. And like this notion of um, multiple classes. I mean, Hinduism understands, right? Talk about yakshas and gandharvas and rakshasas all the different types of classes of non-physical entities. And these are not the same as devas and asuras, those are other classes of non-physical entities. So it's extremely complicated, right? So we've not only got multiple types of entities on the 3D time-space astral plane, uh, lower, middle, upper, 4th and 5th and 6th and 7th density. And um, Buddhism talks about thirty-one planes, which is very uh, okay. <laughs> it's an interesting cosmology, um, but it's very um, fanciful. In fact, the, the way they describe many of the planes is very fanciful. Meanwhile, that threefold division—there's a threefold division of the thirty-one planes, right? Kamaloka, Rupaloka, Arupaloka—is a very useful division. Uh, more categorization of the 31 planes in Buddhism, which correlates very well with the raw material talking about uh, seven dimensions and then sub-densities or sub-dimensional levels or seven per density, you could say that so that's 49 um, this is <laughs> just one more example of how little most people know about the creation and this is, you know, totally subjective, and some people say, oh, it's all fantasy other people say, oh, it's absolutely true Some people say, my system is better than yours. Some people say, well, we can put them together. It's nice to integrate and see where we find commonality. But the bottom line is how many people want to know? How many people want to know deeply? This is a planet of people who don't really care to know deeply, it seems to me. And so most people uh, would rather, uh, you know, put cotton in their ears or clog their ears than than, than realize how little they know which is the basis for continued knowing. You know, you have to have an empty hand to have something placed into it. <clears throat> One has to be receptive to receive. <laughs> One has to be seeking to learn to learn. One has to be open to see and contact and experience. And uh, there's much presumption of um, knowledge and understanding among uh, the folks here in this world. And... um it's just easier for a weak soul, a soul that doesn't believe in itself, a soul that doesn't that has low self-value, a soul with low self with the stuck in the delusion and the distortion of low self-value and low self-worth, it's easier for that soul to simply say I don't care or I already know or I'm not interested and thereby hobble continued learning than say you know I know very little and there's lots of contradiction out there. And it's all unprovable, at least metaphysics, cosmology. But I want to know. And I think I can know. And it's important to keep learning. Very few people have that mindset. You know? So Rahula, the perfect disciple, Rahula, Katama-san, as we're in the other class, there's a break. As I'm talking about the current world uh, mess and the, the SIOP and the situation in the other class, so I didn't do Rahula this week. Next week we'll do part two, Rahula Sutta. But Rahula as a, um, a the most receptive, <laughs> the foremost, this foremost bhikkhu in spiritual receptivity or willingness to learn. That's why he was reborn as Gautama's son, <clears throat> because he was totally sincere in in realizing how little he knows or how much there is yet to know. And everywhere he looked, he wanted to keep learning and find truth that's important for his own continued development. And he didn't become a teacher. And after that lifetime, he, who knows where he is, maybe he's a guardian now, but he didn't become a great teacher. But he was a the foremost disciple or bhikkhu seeking to know, seeking to learn with receptivity. Nobody could blame him for anything. He didn't take advantage of being Gautama's son at all, He was totally committed to learning, and that requires a sense of, I have to keep changing or reforming, um, modifying my current view and understanding. And at the beginning, it's quite painful, because one realizes, wow, I was wrong, I was wrong, I was wrong, I was wrong, or limited, or those people I thought they knew so much, they didn't, you know, they didn't, they don't, they don't know so much, actually. (laughs) That's very rare for people to say, okay gotcha okay he didn't know i don't know we know some but not that much and it's a there's much much you know infinite <laughs> the immeasurable of uh, the immeasurability of of yana of wisdom very few people want to want to accept that so they keep repeating so they don't know they don't know they keep repeating so <clears throat> the root—the root of all this um, paranormal activity, to some degree, was that um, this was a koti tirta, or a place where sages and high beings had bathed, and their electromagnetic field imprints were left, presumably, somehow in the waters. Something like that. So going on. <clears throat> uh, there is... Um, so there was a tiger. <laughs> and Nichinanda had been watching for the tiger that was out. But Nichinanda could talk to the tiger. He could talk to the cobra. He could make money appear out of his hand. You know? You can believe it's all... Some people don't believe it. I don't know, you know? If you have uh, a hundred stories from different people who gain nothing? Really? these are These are people who didn't start any kind of uh, group around themselves, they simply related the story, and um, I don't know, believe what you want but looks to me like um, uh, one miracle um, after another and, and a very uh, an uncompromising commitment to the devotees yet taking into account that uh, they all had a lot to learn too and he's not uh, a dummy doing whatever they tell him to do he's doing it his way or the way that he considers best <clears throat> in their service <clears throat> and and so he's uh, <laughs> somebody who's bitten by a cobra uh, he heals it by some kind of magic uh, kind of sympathetic magic rubbing uh, a balm on his own leg uh this uh, <coughs> um, Sita Shenoy uh, who had a heart attack and nearly died but came there and then basically Nityananda <laughs> healed him recovered him and then he started this restaurant and the family still runs it in Ganeshpuri and um, so it's particularly important Nityananda would be uh more interested in helping those who wish to help others. And so, if you wish to help others, the universe will help you to the degree that you sincerely want to help others, which really means being uh, a positive influence on every single person you meet. Being a positive influence for every single person that crosses your path every single day. (coughs) And that means, (laughs) that doesn't mean talking. (coughs) It doesn't mean doing anything like giving them something or lecturing. It simply means being heartful, <laughs> um, caring, having a basic metta. This is where the four Brahma Vaharas come in. If they're in pain, you feel their pain. If they're in joy, you appreciate their joy. If they're not in pain or not in joy, um, there's still just what some teacher called basic, uh, Trumpa called it, basic kind, basic goodness. Trumpa's definition uh I think of meta was basic goodness, which is better than love because love is prema pema. and um loving kindness okay um, heartful caring sincere care care, true caring, real caring, and that doesn't mean getting involved it just means um making sure one doesn't hurt anybody <laughs> as much as possible, and that's a challenge when one has, uh, to the extent that one, mind, one's mind uh, goes up and down, and we get stuck in emotional patterns, as well as having some desire. I want this. I don't want that. And then dealing with dysfunctional people or people who are harmful. Um, in many ways, the best response to somebody it depends on the situation. Everything. It's a matter of how much wisdom we have to know what's in front of us and how to best be in love wisdom with what's in front of us, who's in front of us, how they are. It's a very great challenge, really, you know. And uh, one size doesn't fit all, and just going off to metaphysics is not any great service, talking on metaphysics or something, unless somebody's asking in that direction. And then the response got to be guided, determined by the nature of their seeking, how strongly they're seeking, how much they want to hear, how well they can integrate. This is all very fine points of wisdom. And um, it's a piece of work. But that's the great work, is to be a positive force for those that cross our path daily. And um, that seems to be, you know, everybody that crossed Nityananda's path, he seemed to have uh, done right by, and those that were troublemaking and distorted, he seemed to did right do right by them as well in his own way. So, <clears throat> going on the story of um, Golikeri Lakshman Rao who won the lottery, Nityananda traveled with him. That's pretty great gift. Uh, <clears throat> so. Uh, Dichinanda again didn't want his gifts but was doing some kind of uh, service to him by traveling with him obviously so I think that that's all I will read from the chapter Old Ashram Part 2 and that final story which again is interesting that he had thrown away Sandwiches or gifts from a Muslim sage. And so Nichinanda doesn't make any distinction between a Muslim sage or a Hindu sage. <laughs> because a sage is a sage, right? Which really means one highly developed in green, blue, indigo. That's it. Highly developed in green, blue, indigo, fourth, fifth, sixth chakra equals well purified in lower triad, blockages of one, two, three chakras cleared significantly. Well seated in love, wisdom, quite moral, harmless, you know, settled in in uh, metta karuna, <laughs> particularly <coughs> metta and karuna, meaning loving kindness or true caring, which which uh, doesn't you know include it includes ourselves, and so it doesn't mean we have to be giving, 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 and I'm here for you for all people. That's not being recommended either. But settled in that attitude of I don't want to hurt or I do feel your pain when you feel pain that's Karuna compassion the sage is a sage no matter where they come from because the seven chakras are the same for all of us the work on body mind spirit is the same morality is the same positive path is the same regardless of doctrine or dogma (coughs) Muslim or Hindu or Buddhist doesn't matter really Of course, Nitin understood that, but there is a there is karmic <laughs> consequence to outright rejection of what a highly developed entity does in our favor. So one should be careful. Old ashram, part two, 1936 to 1950. So again, we're talking about the earlier phase of his development. Um, of the ashram, there. Uh. In Ganesh Puri, and this section goes on, there'll be further chapters talking, this is sort of the heart of his incarnational um, activity, to some degree, the, the middle 20, the middle years, uh, 36 to 56, right, so he's about 40 to 60 here, in 56, he died in 61, or left here in 61, when he was about 65. <clears throat> so, the, the mid-zone, uh, ages 40 to 60, um, was perhaps the, the pith core of his work with people, not necessarily his work on Earth, but his work with people. That's when most people came, 36 to 50, to 36 to 56. So, going on, Old Ashram Part 2, 1936 to 1950, ages 40 to... 55 or so. In 1941, Swami Janandananda travelled to Ganeshpuri to seek Nityananda's guidance on some financial and construction issues regarding the Kanangad ashram, meaning in the south. On his arrival and prior to speaking to the master, he was told to sit down. Within minutes, a taxi drove up, a rare occur a rare occurrence in those days, and Nityananda left, saying he would return soon. And he did. 24 hours later, in the same taxi. Then, glancing at Swami Nanda, he said, Go home, everything is taken care of. Without a word, and this is the right way. (laughs) This is how you follow your teacher. You just do it. You don't question, you just do it. Maybe if you have a question, sometime you can ask, but in general, um, (laughs) you defer your mind to your teacher's mind. Without a word, Swami Jananda made the return trip, one that involved the usual number of trains and buses, meaning it was a multi stage journey, reaching the ashram, he heard that Nityananda had been there earlier with money and instructions. Let me add that even with today's, this is Captain Hatengi's ad, let me add that even with today's improved transportation conditions and utilizing the new Netravati Bridge, it is impossible to complete a round trip between Bombay and the Kangang God by taxi in 24 hours. Of course. <laughs> he took the taxi away and dematerialized and rematerialized and came back, went out and came back. <clears throat> That's what's going on. And so Jananana, Jananda Janananda, 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 uh, had to go the human physical way and Nityananda went the metaphysical way and um, things uh, (laughs) he gave the money and the instructions on the construction and all the work there and that was that Nityananda was never interested in attracting disciples or organizing an ashram very much important point he was egoless in both words and action when pressed he would say this one is not flattered when important people come or sad when devotees leave this one meaning himself, what he as being, is uh, not, <laughs> not uh, moved by the worldly winds of praise and honor from so-called important people, nor um, dejection or blame or loss when those that uh, would follow have now left. Of course... <clears throat> Because he really understands the perfection of all things and he sees that as a living vibrant reality much more than than we can or I can. Students of other spiritual teachers sometimes came to Ganeshpuri but the master always steered them back to their own ashrams. He would tell them that their gurus were quite capable of solving their problems and that it was inappropriate as well as disrespectful to change loyalty on a temporary basis. One morning, as devotees of Shirdi Sai Baba, that's, I think, the older Sai Baba, not the Afro Sai Baba, devotees of Shirdi Sai Baba filed before him, Nityananda was heard to shout, Go back to Shirdi! Does the old man there sit differently than this one does here? And if you look at the pictures of uh, Shirdi Sai Baba, he's really quite a, a beautiful being. Uh, <clears throat> not the the current guy. A similar situation involved the affluent Bivandiwala, Bivandiwala brothers, then devotees of Narayan Maharaj. I think we talked about him before. When they first learned that Nityananda was in Ganeshpuri, they set off to see him. But when they arrived, Nityananda shouted, go back to your guru, and refused to speak to them. The brothers, nevertheless, continued to come. It was only when Narayan Maharaj died, meaning their teacher, that the master finally addressed them and accepted their devotion. Which is an interesting—I mean, there's some metaphysics to staying with the guru you've pledged to. <laughs> if you pledged to, um, it may well be to the extent that that's a true teacher. And I'm not talking about me or anybody that we commonly see on YouTube. No matter, real guru. Um, who doesn't care to accumulate devotees and doesn't care to gain anything. Uh, That's the teacher that I mean, a real guru beyond the need for a relationship, (laughs) beyond the need for um, anything in human society. Um, There is perhaps, there there probably really is um, metaphysical or karmic harm done when one reverses prior sincere pledge to follow and continue as a student or devotee or disciple of that true guru, teacher. Uh, Reversing a sincere pledge to a truly awakened guru or teacher is probably harmful for the student or disciple. And that's I perhaps why Nityananda told them to go back to their teacher <clears throat> going on there was once a devotee who had lost a flourishing business uh, this is, we, we heard this before uh, who had lost a flourishing business prior to the second world war on his first visit to Ganeshpuri, he kept her- hearing Nityananda repeat the word junk it wasn't really junk, it was actually shit it was Radhi Radi. radi. So, so you see people <laughs> people have a real problem with honesty. They, they have so many views of what they should and shouldn't, and they're afraid of this and that. So he didn't want to say shit because that's off color and rude. so he said junk or translated Radhi as junk rather than feces or nightshade or you know junk, shit. and so he called it junk. Um, meanwhile, that's not what Nischemla said. He repeated the word radi, and try as he might, this man could not stop thinking about it. When the man returned home, the word radi still rang in his ears, and he went for a walk. Lo and behold, he came upon an auction, selling discarded odds and ends to the highest bidder. Without hesitation, he bought the entire lot and then soon sold it for a profit. Within months, he was on his way toward recouping his earlier losses. Within the ashram he was called Radiwala, or the head of junk. (laughs) It was actually Wala, um, like Chaiwala, is um, Master? Or um, I don't know what it would be. Chaiwala was Tea Master, but it's um, the the one who um, performs (laughs) tea. The maker of tea. So, Radhiwala is the maker of Radhi or the, not maker in this case, but the collector, or the director of Wala, of Radi, which I think is not junk, but shit. Radhiwala, this man, became a frequent visitor to Ganeshpuri, often bringing his entire family. Always anxious to have Nichinanda touch him, he sometimes took the liberty of placing the master's hand on the head of a relative he wished to have blessed. How forward. This annoyed some of the older devotees who had been around since the days in Mangalore. Back then, Nityananda had told them not to prostrate themselves before him, that their inner prayers would reach him. Right? Physical demonstration, not necessary. One afternoon, Radhiwala took his leave after placing Nityananda's hand on the head of every member of his family. Unable to contain themselves, the envious devotees asked the Master why he had never favored them in this manner after their many years of devotion. He rebuked them by saying, a blessing is not given by placing the hand on the head. It is an inner transmission, not an outer demonstration. And so, <clears throat> in a sense, I could say, with my level, <laughs> little level of understanding, um Radywala, was not able to understand that uh, what he was seeking was inner transmission or transmission from Nityananda by mind or spiritual energy was an energetic, uh, subtle, non-physical transmission he wasn't at that level and Nityananda didn't object then to having his hand uh, forcibly placed on the head of all of uh, Radiwala's family I mean, it's very forward. And yet, Nityananda did not object. The other devotees objected because they wanted it. Meanwhile, they weren't at the level where um, they needed it. But they didn't know they didn't need it. (laughs) This is a very funny thing. Sometimes... We're attached to something that we actually, I mean, common, we're attached to something or seeking something we really don't need. And we're even beyond, we're we're essentially beyond the level of the one who really needs it, but we don't know we're beyond the level or beyond the point at which we would really need it. I mean, much of desire is like that. Um, We don't need it, uh, but we want it. And yet, if we really saw ourselves more clearly, we might realize it's very fine. We don't have it. <laughs> Actually, one can be well not having that which, in some cases, that in some cases, that which we desire. So, <clears throat> obviously, Shaktipat or transmission or um, transmission, uh, the the offering of guru to student is not of the physical activity. It's of um, transfer of intelligent energy. It's a transmission of prana uh, coming from mind and will. Will, mind-based energy transmission. I mean, there, there are many other things as it is too. But they <clears throat> they were envious and unaware that he, Nityananda wasn't doing that for them um, because they didn't need it. but they thought they needed it, or they wanted it, and didn't know that actually the one that was getting it um, wasn't able to understand what they're able to understand, at least at that point. It's very interesting. Going on, one one day when the master complained of fatigue, Mrs. Muktabai admitted her surprise, saying that he rarely left the ashram, and spent most of his time resting on the floor of his room, or on the bench outside, He quipped, yes, but the devotees remember, don't they? (laughs) On another occasion, he said, and this is a quote we read before, one established in infinite consciousness becomes silent, and while knowing everything, goes about as if knowing nothing. While doing many things in several places, outwardly one appears to do nothing. <clears throat> and so there may be some he was fatigued maybe because he was doing much in a, in several places meaning transmitted, it's called an emanation body, transmitted he, um, an apparent human form to another physical location with full conscious ability to use that form as if it was him to basically, this is what higher self can do uh, going on let me see a time check Yeah, we're going to finish this chapter and that'll be all for today. And I might have to read a little faster here. One day, a new devotee brought his wife to Ganeshpuri. After first greeting Nityananda, they sat down a little apart from the others. Some of the visitors were discussing the building of a small school in the area. Thinking this a good opportunity to contribute something, the husband rose and placed a thousand rupee note on the plate by Nityananda's bench. After resuming his seat, or sitting down again, the man was astonished to find his single note transformed into a pile of smaller denomination bills. Nityananda made change. Nityananda, and that was it. (laughs) That's the whole story. So this was probably told to Captain Hatengi and um, just one little thing. Nityananda basked in the spontaneity of life and delighted in saying that things rarely went according to plan, even the best laid plans. After all, he would tell devotees, God's will always prevails. And that's one way of looking at the present uh, crisis uh, for humanity, that God's will is here too, Logos is rising, as E. Michael Jones says rightly, but that doesn't mean pain will be stopped it just means that uh, it's in accord with karmic law or God's will that is the basis of karmic law that is simply the way of causality and um, cause and effect and um, it's right simply because it's causally just Um, and that's God's will so uh, that's worth a whole lot more talking, but not today. Going on, 1949, a devotee from Kerala in the south was filled with dismay when a renowned astrologer announced that the devotee's young wife would soon die due to an affliction of Saturn in her chart. We read this before. Distraught, the man rushed to Ganesh puri As he arrived and sat down, Nityananda turned to him and said, Saturn is there, but so is God. He then told the husband to stay on at the ashram and to perform certain rituals that were never explained. He said, just do it. The devotee faithfully followed his instructions to the letter. When the day predicted, for the calamity came, it passed without incident, and Nichinanda told the happy man to go home. One morning, as Nichinanda reclined on his bench with legs outstretched, three stalwart sannyasis appeared in the entrance behind him. One carried a large, brightly polished trident. <clears throat> the note is that the trident Trishula, tree meaning three, came right from Sanskrit, the word, the syllable root tree. Trishula symbolizes three powers of the Absolute. Hey, hey, exactly fitting in the three laws of the raw material will, knowledge, and action. The law of free will. The law of love, which is the law of love wisdom, which is actually uh, sentience or omniscience 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 all-knowing the capacity for knowing and then action or the law of light which is intelligent energy that's what the light is Light, love love light intelligent energy which is prana which is the rim of the wheel which is the ten thousand things which is where activity occurs and this is exactly fitting the Trinity actually of the three laws in the raw material fitting actually the Christian trinity just as well too and even fitting the traditional Hindu trinity, fitting the trinity, the Hindu trinity of Brahma, Vishnu, Shiva actually it's often associated with Shiva and so Shiva um, holds the trident and is in some way could be called a guardi- a guardian of um, God or Logoic Trinity uh, the, the creative trinity by which um, infinity becomes apparent finity or the boundless becomes the 10,000 things. Anyway a man, three stalwart sannyasis appeared in the entrance behind him. One carried a large, brightly polished trident. Quietly they took a stance behind the master and waited for him to acknowledge them but he uttered no sound and made no gesture. Time passed. <laughs> Nichinanda doesn't play games. The visitors grew restless and the watching, watching devotees uncomfortable. Right? So there's these big, tough-looking guys behind Nichinanda holding a trident. Right? As if they're going to, what, kill him or announce him or proclaim him or bless him or something. <laughs> doesn't play their little game time passed, the visitors grew restless, right, so restless sannyasis, and the watching devotees uncomfortable. Suddenly, the trident bearer thrust it forcefully in midair, where it remained of its own accord. Still, Nityananda did not turn, but whenever he glanced from the right corner of his eye, the trident swayed slightly. After some moments, Nityananda shook his outstretched foot and the trident fell with a clatter. <laughs> I guess he's showing uh, sovereignty. Bowing, the sannyasis asked to stay in the ashram for three days. <clears throat> During this time, they said they were followers of a powerful guru in the Himalayas. They conceded, however, that Nityananda was himself a great leader of the knot order of monks. Matseyandranat. This is a, a certain kind of um, ascetic yogis. Mat... Matsyandana associated with actually the some of the mythology on Babaji and demonstrating great respect and affection they departed with his blessing so <laughs> uh, their, their guru had, had uh, heard about him on the astral and uh, told them to come pay a visit and do a kind of a dharma battle and uh, he picked up their trident and put it in the air and then shook his foot and then it fell and they realized, oh, oh, okay, he's a pretty big guy too. Going on, it was around 1942 when Kamath Kamat and his friend uh, Shivarati, and a sorry, Kamat and a friend spent Shivarati, the annual festival of Shiva, in Ganeshpuri. And by the way, Ganeshpuri actually really means um, Puri of the 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 Puri to Ganesh. Puri is. um... Um, like a like a ritual, ritual sacrifice offering that is for Ganesh, that uh, one account has it was the done in that location, giving rise to the name Ganesh Puri, the place of Ganesh's ritual, the ritual to Ganesh uh, long, long ago. That's where the name came from. So it was the place of ritual offering to Ganesh. Staying in rooms opposite the hot spring tanks, they rose at midnight to bathe and then entered the darkness of the Bimeshwar temple. To their surprise, the beam of their flashlight revealed Nityananda standing with one foot on the linga, which is the phallic symbol, and repeating, Shiva is gone, Shiva is gone. And the two men knew that for Shiva to have gone, he must first have come. Okay. So they were going for that. It's hard to say what Nichirenanda really meant there, but um, he clearly knows the mind of the people coming. Just a second. Yeah, we'll finish this. It's going to be a little long today. Yeah, okay. So, going on. Mrs. Mrs. Muktabai once asked Nityananda whether he could see God. His reply was, quote, More more clearly than I see you," he also said that physical contact physical contact with the teacher was unnecessary. Very true. This one is here, there, and everywhere. Right, omnipresence. Omnipresence. (laughs) The third, uh, the fulfillment, uh, or mastery, or fulfillment, or union with the third principle, the principle of light which is omnipresent. This one, the one, he as one, as the one, is here, there, and everywhere, he assured, quote, there is no pinhole where this one will not be found. And a certain incident in the life of G.A. Rao illustrates this. Rao was the devotee mentioned earlier who had won the lottery. Always generous with his unexpected wealth, He unfortunately lost everything during the war. Nityananda asked a devotee living in the same town as Mr. Rao to let the impoverished man stay in his warehouse. One day, Mr. Rao sadly considered that he did not even have a photo of his guru to wave incense in front of. That night he had a dream. In it, Nityananda had him search the wall above his pillow for a nail hole and instructed him to wave incense before it. The next morning when he awoke, Rao found such a hole and began waving incense before it daily for the duration of his stay. Some time passed before he finally saw Nityananda in the flesh again. On that occasion, the master remarked that he was enjoying the fragrance of Rao's incense. (laughs) One day, as visitors from Saurashtra, Saurashtra, like um, Maharashtra, Saurashtra is a different portion, a different area, probably not, not far from Maharashtra. One day, as the visitors from Saurashtra were bowing before Nityananda, one of them began to shiver uncontrollably. Afterward, a devotee took him aside to ask why he had reacted so. The man said that, before leaving his village, he had seen the master in a nearby cave, and was shocked to find him here as well. Then, that evening, when the devotee remarked on the unlikelihood of such an occurrence, Nityananda replied, Anything is possible. That's right, the power of God, or higher self, nearly, or at least certainly the power of the Logos, is infinite. Anything is possible. And that's something to consider with this situation of uh, vaccination, no vaccination. Um, Total protection is possible. At least according to my interpretation of Nityananda's speech and teaching. So, even taking vaccination, mandatory, if it's mandatory vaccination or prison, and a person takes it, and knows that anything is possible? Does it mean that they could be fully protected (coughs) while submitting to that fascist act of forced vaccination? Probably. (laughs) Or, yes, for sure. Um, Do I know? No, because I'm not Nityananda. But I think there is relevance, and one might want to consider that. (coughs) Going on, anything is possible. To Nityananda, this was abundantly clear. When, in the 1950s, or mid-1950s, <coughs> he asked Madhumama to go to Badrenat, the devotee stopped over in Rishikesh, famous place in the north for uh, sannyasis and yogis and gurus. <coughs> there, he was approached by a tall... So this is um, Madhumama going to Rishikesh on their way to another place in the mid-1950s, then there he was uh, approached by a tall stranger who in passing warned him in Kannari's, the language of Kannara, don't eat anything offered by a sannyasi on your way to Badranath, only eat temple food. Madumama was mystified by both the message and messenger. How would anyone know that he understood Kannari's and was en route to Badrinath. Turning to ask him, he found only empty space. On his subsequent return to Ganeshpuri, he told fellow devotees that when he bowed at Kedarnath, 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 he felt as if his head touched the body of the master. Some devotees laughed, but Nityananda remarked, There is no need to doubt his experience the body without the head, or Munda, is in Kedarnat, while the head without the body, Rundra, Runda, is in Pashupatinat Pashupattinat. If Shiva's body can lie in Kedarnat, and his head in Pashupattinat, then a devotee would not be surprised to feel Nityananda's body anywhere. So, this uh, devotee probably had Nityananda appear to him um, when he was in Rishikesh warning him about food. Don't eat the food. (laughs) Don't eat anything offered by a sannyasi. Yes, there are some very diabolical sannyasis uh, in India. Uh, Then he came back and when he uh, got to this place and bowed at that Ketarnat. He felt his head was touching Nityananda's body. Nityananda then explains um, that <laughs> he can... he... want his body or his... what is what he considers his body was also... In Kedarnath, where the devotee touched his head, his head to the body, while the head without the body is in Pasupatenat. Pash, Pasupatenat. <clears throat> in any case, he's making an analogy to Shiva. Shiva, where um, we're talking about omnipresence again. This is omnipresence. So. Nityananda pretty clearly demonstrates, (laughs) gives pretty clear indication of um, omnipresence, as well as um, omniscience and omnipotence. He can make trains start and stop by his hand. He can talk to cobras and tigers and get them to take it easy and uh, move when needed, or be at rest when needed uh he apparently can interface with astral entities <coughs> of different types um including those that um are kind of um horrible or um shocking to behold uh he can appear in multiple places at the same time he can travel distances apparently by mind um and uh be Aware of what disciples are thinking without them saying so, and establish circumstances to be of service to help those disciples in line with their thought that has never been spoken to him. (laughs) Uh, Compare anyone else to that. Even Gautama didn't do this. So, and I was just thinking today, and I know we're we're at the end of here, um... I was just thinking today, Nityananda is very similar to a Prateka Buddha. Prateka Buddha <coughs> um, is supposedly, in Buddhism, particularly Theravada, uh, one who attains Buddhahood without a Buddha. Uh, one who attains Buddhahood solitary. A solitary Buddha. And doesn't go out teaching. Is not a world teacher. Nityananda, um didn't seem to attain <laughs> enlightenment during his lifetime he seemed to have come in fully finished meaning uh, an incarnation of a guardian and uh did some world teaching obviously but really wasn't step was, wasn't seeking to establish an ashram or collectivities if nobody came to him he would have been just fine if he never had a house or an ashram to stay in he would have been just fine so He simply responded to the calling of those around him to have a relationship with devotees and to establish a physical structure called an ashram at uh, Ganesh Puri and then Kailash. That was done because he was asked, that's all. Not because he made it happen or wanted it. I think he was fine with it because they wanted it, he wanted it because he wanted to be. He was naturally of service. But in a way, Nityananda really is beyond intentionality. I mean, if we're talking about somebody who seems to manifest the three qualities of Godhead, <laughs> right? Omnipotence, omniscience, and omnipresence. Um, aren't they beyond intentionality? The crystallized healer has no will. He's beyond a crystallized healer. He's the crystal. <laughs> the crystallized. <laughs> a crystallized one. Uh, crystallization of the one. Has no will. No personal willfulness. And, um... I think we... But that is at some level akin to a Pratyeka Buddha. He wasn't here to found a religion. He wasn't here to collect people around him. Um he had a mission for the planet, and that people came and asked much of him was sort of secondary or incidental, actually, it looks to me. <clears throat> Not that he didn't value it, but uh if it hadn't if they hadn't come, he wouldn't have sought them out. Now Um, Next time, we'll start in the second uh, portion, the second group of chapters from the book Nityananda in Divine Presence, starting with the Old Ashram Part 3, again 1936 to 1950. More stories, which are interesting. Um, And I guess I would just say two things from... Um, what we saw uh, what we've read today there are two points just to mention Uh, one is this phrase God's will always prevails the second is anything is possible God's will always prevails that that (laughs) may not be comforting because it god's will does obviously not exclude uh continuance of pain and suffering and injustice and oppression at least what it what as they appear to us to be as we experience all that with our limited mind we do experience all that and god's will prevailing clearly isn't eliminating it at the present yet there is some value to per to contemplate god's will always prevails and um it's useful as a focus of contemplation and then to that anything is possible very true totally totally there is no limit to the power of the one and and i is not separate from the one the i one the nature true nature is not separate from the one and so uh the power of true nature is infinite. And that's greater than anyone's personality, uh, but it's something to be remembered. Anyway, that's it for today. Uh, Please take good care of yourselves. We'll go on next time. Take good care, and good night.